views expressed during this show are mine and my co-host alone and not reflective of any particular political party or organization. Welcome to This Week of Purple Politics, a discussion between the red and the blue in the woodlands. I'm your co-host, Amy Hamrick-Lewis, the chair of the Montgomery County Democratic Party, and I'm joined again this week by Sean Thompson, a local Republican. The elephant in the room. Yes. So we're going to be talking about schools in the age of corona this week, Mm -hmm. and most of the districts in Montgomery County started this week. Yes. Um, I think a couple more start next week, Mm -hmm. and I believe that all started virtually all of the public schools. Yes, uh, in this area, definitely everyone's starting off virtual only. Yeah, there's some uh, private schools that are in person, Mm -hmm. but all of the public are uh, virtual, which has had some bumps um, for a lot of people, I think. But it also, at least for my family, brings a lot of peace of mind to know my kids have not left, they've left the house a couple of times, but they've not been in public um, since March, um, longest spring break ever. Um, so we were not. We are already made the decision in Conroe, as I think for most of the ISDs in Montgomery County, you could, before they decided to do the first three weeks virtually, you could decide, or you needed to decide, if you were going to have them do virtual for the first nine weeks or be in person. Mm-hmm. And we picked virtual. And in fact, we're looking at not sending them back until January, the very earliest. Um, we figured the last couple months of the year is kind of a wash anyway with all of the vacations, so let's just keep them home, be on one schedule uh, for the entire semester, and then we'll reevaluate at that point. Um, but I know that a lot of parents um, need to have their kids back in school for various reasons. A lot of parents just want their kids back in school uh, for various reasons. So um, what are your thoughts? Amy, this is a very interesting topic, especially for the two of us to discuss. Uh, you know, as some of the fan mail starts coming my way words. Becoming a parent, I don't necessarily toe the party line. Mm-hmm. You know, I have some very strong uh, conservative beliefs, but I don't usually march to the same step. And I think this may be one of them. I don't think we're going to agree with everything on this, uh, especially probably the reasonings of and, and how to how to proceed. Uh, but I think we can both agree right off the bat. I'm a parent, grandparent. You're a parent. We want what's best for our kids. And hopefully, you know, with this this civil discourse, we get in the middle, we acknowledge this is a really whacked out situation and and how to proceed. So right off the bat, I'm going to say that across the board, we were woefully, for a myriad of reasons, which I'm sure we're going to get into, unprepared for school years. Mm -hmm. I think the early days of coronavirus, and this is where both sides, well, the Surgeon General in February (laughs) said no masks, and you know, as information was becoming more apparent that this is not going to be a four-week hiccup. I remember the early days, we were in the middle of putting in, running rehearsals for a musical, and the theater's like, well, we'll just shut down for a couple of weeks and pick it back up. Maybe four weeks, maybe eight weeks, maybe next year. (laughs) You know, as, as as knowledge grew, and you've heard me say this before, I frequently say the wrong argument is being pursued. Mm-hmm. And I believe the second we knew as a nation that there was going to be an issue with the schools, it should have started, that should have been addressed at that moment mm-hmm. to get us where we are, because even now we're scrambling. I have several teacher friends. I, in preparation for this, I talked to them. They're kind of boots on the ground, as it were. Mm-hmm. And it's what went wrong, why, and if you could fix it. If, you know, when I make presidents... I win, and I choose my secretary of education, it'll be you and 
how would you handle it? You know, I want teacher of the year to be actually be the secretary of education. Uh, and I've got some good boots on the ground responses to that. I think we can agree schools just aren't ready for it. Unfortunately, on top of that, my conservative views on separation of powers, federal mandates, adds another layer to that, that this is the first time in history, oh, I'm sorry, can we, we'll, we'll concentrate on virtual right now. Sure. Uh, we were talking beforehand, and of course there are many hiccups. On top of that, there's a legal issue. Now, I'm the guy that usually ticks people off because I'll stick with the legal, even if it's morally or ethically questionable, it's like, but this is the law. Mm -hmm. Never in the history of education has there been an undue pressure on parents to provide pay extra just for their child to have school. And I'm talking Wi-Fi, computers, modems, one computer per child. Now, so, so with that, uh, never school is supposed to be provided for free, free education up to a certain time by the Department of Education to states. You know, it, it trickles down. Never has it been, because the truancy laws are still in effect. If your child refuses to do the work or, or, or partake in the classes, legal proceedings can ensue. So just by me not having Wi-Fi at my house, paying extra, and it's not cheap anymore, there could be arrests, there could be well, yeah. suspensions, expulsions. So let's, but let's look at what really happens with that here in Texas. Okay. Because Texas has very lax laws on homeschool. So you can actually uh, pull your child out of school, say you're homeschooling them, and there be very little um, oversight yes, over that. So absolutely. That, that is an option. But as far as the, the extra cost to the parents, yes, that is an issue. But I think when we're, if we blame the schools or if we use the schools as an argument for it, we're missing the larger picture. We've been saying for a very long time um, on the Democratic side and some Republicans that we need some sort of uh, countrywide infrastructure for Wi-Fi. South Korea has it. Mm -hmm. It's considered a utility. Um, a, lot of, and, um, a lot of countries have more sophisticated infrastructure where it's more easily accessible, cheaper. You know, it's, it's seen as an absolute need in many places across the world. And we've fallen woefully short on that, especially in rural areas. Okay. Um, so, yes, that is a problem. Even in Montgomery County. Even Montgomery I, County. Rural, I was yes. talking with someone yesterday who, who's saying he's having to build a tower mm -hmm. in his backyard to reach the nearest just for him to get Wi-Fi. Right, yeah. So this is absolutely an absolutely. issue. I'm not sure about all of the other districts. I'm most familiar with Conroe because that's where my kids are. Conroe ISD a year ago had a bond. A very large bond. Mm -hmm. A very significant portion of it was going to go to technology and would have allowed them to buy a Chromebook for every student in Conroe ISD. I'm not sure exact numbers. Some of them have, um, the ones they already have, have hotspots built in. I don't believe that all of them, that that was enough money to get all of them with hotspots, but yeah. at least it would have been Chromebooks. That bond was defeated by uh, a group of Tea Party activists in the Republican Party. May, may I clarify? Because I know there were two bonds. I want, no one was more kind of 
sports arena related and the other. I thought the larger bond was approved. So originally, the original election was one large bond. Correct. And that one was defeated. Mm -hmm. It was defeated, like I said, by Tea Party activists who went out in the community and lied about what was in the bond. And there was a lot of, well, we never had computers growing up, and we never had this growing up, and we never had that growing up. Why do kids need it now? So then what they did was they cut it into two parts because the sports package did have issues that were unrelated to money because mm -hmm. it, a lot of it was AstroTurf. And so there was some argument about whether or not that was ideal for sports. But even the main part of the bill had to be pared down. So they had to take out a large chunk of the technology money in order to make it under a certain dollar amount uh, so that there would be less pushback on it. There's never been pushback in the history of Conroe Honesty on a bond. It has always just been a pro forma on the ballot, passed with flying colors. Never in the history of Conroe Honesty have they seen this sort of um, pushback in just outright, um, I don't even know the right word, but, but just the dishonest campaign that went against the bond. And so now we are in a situation where, no, not every student in Conroe ISD can have a laptop because the citizens of Conroe ISD blocked access to it. And this is exactly why we needed that sort of thing. Conroe ISD has done as much as they can with the money that they have. There are laptops, I don't know percentage, exact percentage, but there are laptops for a good number of students. And, um, and again, some of them have Wi-Fi, some of them don't. And so uh, I believe maybe Magnolia, there is one district in the area who was able to pass their bond mm -hmm. before this uh, activist group got uh, really strong and they have technology for all of their students be as a direct result. So, And this is something that we can agree on that there is a need for additional technology. I'm the first one on board with that, which is why for that school bond, I was happy it was split up because there were issues in the, in the encompassing bond that I too had a problem with. And I was pleasantly surprised uh, that it was separated to an extent. But yes, more money. I, I think education is the basis of all things civilized. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you base civilization on its, its education. So there is that. Um, bearing in mind that we're talking about Conroe ISD, as we should, because this is our, our local turf, but nationwide, there are 13,000 school districts. Mm -hmm. 187 state-run education agencies, 56 million students, 56.6 million students. And these are the numbers I remember, so I'm getting them out now so we can talk about them uh, nationwide. And, of course, teachers on, on top of this. So, again, legally speaking, the undue burden on parents and teachers, it's bad enough teachers have to buy pencils and paper. Absolutely. Now it's like, okay, now you must buy... Uh, computer and Wi-Fi and software and this and that. It's right. an undue pressure that should not, that should have been addressed right off the bat. That plus the retrofitting of, of existing facilities since COVID may be the new normal. Uh, the school should have, retrofitting should have started immediately as well as for new schools having the fiber optics, having the infrastructure in, in new uh, buildings. Now in Texas, the maximum allowed except for special dispensation, uh, of student class is 22. Mm -hmm. I, I think we'd all be hard-pressed to find a single class 
that doesn't have more than that. Well, I'm not sure in the lower grades here in Conroe they do. My kids have never had been over, so granted, but I have no idea what it's like. I, I, I would from whom I'm talk from who I talk to is, is teachers. Is they laugh mm-hmm. uh, and they're saying, "Well, I got 30, I got 45." Oh, wow. And so you physically mm-hmm. can't fit these kids right. to have six feet apart. The infrastructure literally does not exist. So I don't think there's any single answer. I I think the the subject we'll get into momentarily is the long-term effects of virtual-only teaching, and that's where I think you and I will differ. I have some strong opinions on that. That being said, I believe there needs to be, there's no single one answer for this, much like masks don't do everything, social distancing, indoor, outdoor, you know, COVID in general, there's too many, we have to do this and this, it's just like having a seatbelt and a airbag. Right. Um, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to just go off a little sure, bit. Sure, But yeah, I agree that, that there is so there are a lot of drawbacks to virtual because we weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, it just highlights, in my mind, what a disadvantage we've put ourselves on as a society when we've devalued education. We don't fund education the way we should. We don't fund education at the federal level. We don't fund education in our state at the state level um, the way we should. Some states are better at it than others. But... And I, Brian and I talked about this a few weeks ago. My my thought of the matter is Newt Gingrich came out in the 90s and said, we know that the more educated people are, the more likely they are to vote Democratic. And the Republicans started dismantling public education. Not that that was the very beginning. I mean, people have been fighting over how to fund education for a very long time. But it became a life or death issue for the top of the Republicans. And then you you get into, again, on individual state levels, and the Texas legislature have done everything they can to not pay what schools deserve to have. And the schools have had to make do with less and less. I have a friend whose son, she has twin boys who were born very, very early. They had a lot of special needs. She was fortunate enough to be able to be a stay-at-home mom while they until they hit school age. And she, I mean, it was her full-time job getting them therapy, working with them outside of their therapy, you know, to provide it um, herself. And they were in mainstream classrooms from the minute they hit school because she was able to catch them up. But when she put them through the system here as far as, because when your kids um, have needs, special needs, the um, you do get government-subsidized help with the therapy and everything. Mm. And so they put them through a battery of tests and they say, based on your income, based on your child's needs, level of needs, this is what we will provide. This is, if you have to pay anything, this is what you pay. This is what it takes care of. She was, thought she was very happy with the services that she was getting here in Texas. Moved to Connecticut, where they fund their schools. And the um, person that did their evaluation was shocked at the low level of services they were getting here in Texas. And she was considered getting kind of the gold standard of what's available here in Texas. And it was a fraction of what they ended up getting in in Connecticut because they put more money into their special needs kids in Connecticut than they do here. And it's a matter of values. I mean, I think there's an adage that your values, your budget shows your values. And our budget here in Texas has shown that educating our children and making sure that they have what they need to be successful is at the bottom. Now, are we taking into consideration for this, you know, nothing else, population? Obviously, Texas, just by being a border state. Sure. You know, it's like comparing 
uh, I was in a discussion with someone comparing the United States to Norway, and I said Norway literally has 1.5% of our population. Right. You can't. You can't. It is right. So... I can appreciate that a you know one of them lesser Yankee states, uh, you know, but your your smaller states with, with uh, smaller certainly no immigration issues or or factors of mingling. I don't think people are battering down the walls to get into Connecticut uh, on a daily basis. So of course you have a per capita situation where if you have more money, less people, more money. Uh, I'm not forgiving. Texas also ranks 47th out of 50. In adult literacy. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that includes uh, defined as the ability to read, speak, and understand English. So, again, because we have a very bilingual situation here in Texas, it, it almost artificially inflates why we're so far down the list. Because, right. again, Connecticut, there's not a big French presence there, you know. So, in context, I can absolutely see why someone would benefit more from Connecticut than, say, uh, Texas. But that's kind of a heart of the issue that we may actually agree on, or, or I'm not sure. <laughs> each state, the reason why education is made up under the auspice of each state is because what is needed to be learned in Texas may not necessarily drive with New York, California, Colorado, Wisconsin, whatever. You know, you have rural states, you have metropolitan states. And so to have a, I find, you know, if I'm going to play the Republican card, uh, the one size fits all rarely works out. Um, that I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but that was my primary issue with the ACA. Mm -hmm. It was a one size fits all, and, and I thought if if there had been like a cafeteria menu of ten things you want to be covered with, I would have been much more on board with it. So we can't have a one size fits all education, you know, federally mandated curriculum. Oh no, I definitely don't want a federally mandated curriculum. Okay. But I want. It's obvious that we don't, as a society, value education enough. And it comes out with the whole way we're, we're handling COVID. We didn't trust scientists from, the, from the, the early days. We didn't trust scientists. There's a huge sec, uh, section of the population that still doesn't trust the scientists. And they haven't been taught the critical um, thinking skills that it takes to work through. Why did were we told no masks at the beginning and now we're told masks and you know, what that means, it doesn't mean that, that we're lying now or that it's a system of oppression now. It means the scientists did what scientists do. They make hypotheses, they challenge those hypotheses, and then they had to adjust their, um, their, their protocols based on what they found. And so that means that science works. And the fact that so many people don't realize that that's what that means is a failure of our education system because we don't value education. Ironically, i got to slip this in, the CDC and the American Pediatric Association, and even to an extent Dr. Fauci himself, have said, put them back in school. Mm -hmm. Open the schools. It's okay. And soon we're going to get into the... I don't think they've said it's okay. It's Well, and I know we're going to very soon get into the numbers game <laughs> on this one, so that'll be our next topic. Uh, but no... The, They've said the, the risk is so negligible. Well, the Pediatric Society hedged their recommendations. And I, I don't want to even try and, and give a, their exact quote. But they did say in hotspots, it is you need to take more precautions than they had originally thought. They did. And this actually, the CDC was hit with a lot of criticism for the recommendations they put out because the recommendations they put out are almost impossible given 
the way we handle schools. Even though they are, and that's the other thing too, their recommendations are almost impossible given the way we have our, our school structured. But that doesn't mean that you just throw them out. It means you attain as much as you can mm -hmm. of them, right? And so, you know, there was a lot of that uh, talk in the community that, oh, well, since they're obviously so stupid that they think we can do this, we shouldn't be doing any of it. Well, I mean, that's, that doesn't help it. You know, we don't need to be so extreme on one side or the other. They put the gold standard, and the best thing we can do is see how close we can get on each of their bullet points to that gold standard, knowing that we're never going to make it 100% safe. Mm -hmm. I, and I raise that primarily because the scientists right now are saying you can open the doors, you can fill your classrooms. Uh, and, of course, so there's a pushback on that. Oh, no, because it may not fit. I don't want to say fit the narrative. That's kind of a, that's a talking point. It's, it's, a, it's a glib response. But uh, Dr. Fauci praised uh, Governor, I, I can't remember, her, the Rhode Island governor. I cannot remember her name for the life of me. Uh, Democratic governor, Democratic of, of a blue state. Uh, and I make sure to, to say that this is not all Republicans rock, Democrats suck, uh, says if you're going to do it, do it like Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And what she she called out the National Guard. It's like uh, when Rhode Island started experiencing it. OK, fine. Well, I'll bring, I don't have to go federal because I'm bringing in state troops mm -hmm. taking care of just like that. Uh, instituted a situation that said rioting, looting. You had your, your 90 minutes of it. It's gone. And so here we are now. So the hot spots, unfortunately, are the hot spots that we every night in Portland and Seattle and Chicago and New York and in Austin, and we'll bring it even closer to home. These are the hot spots because there's been no there's been a forgivable nature on, well, this is a virus that only hits you when you're indoors. Well, there's actually not New York never had a spike. From their protests, they didn't need a spike. They were already they were maximum already, but there capacity. Was, There's nothing no, to spike No, because they had from. started to come down. But the spike there was no spike there. The most, virus doesn't come back again and again, though. Yes, they can. But the masks um, are being worn at a lot of the um, the protests when they turn into riots. No, I mean, but those are not the people that are there to protest. The people that are there to protest and make a point are by and large wearing masks. They are outside. And from what I understand from people who are in these places, if you want to social distance, that is respected. Um, it, but when you have 60,000 It is hard down, to, it, completely, to completely... Um, but I agree with you have, that there's a... You know, you know, you have the peaceful protesters, and I'm all for peaceful. I love protesting. Then you have wave, the, the B team coming in at 9.01 at night. And I get that. But the city, county, and state leaders are allowing it to happen. It doesn't matter who's rioting at that point. You can say, well, it's not the peaceful protest, but the riots are still happening. They the must be shut still, down. The riots are still happening because we have not seen systemic change yet. Breonna Taylor's murderers have not been arrested. I'm not sure if, uh, how Portland uh, completely has taken care of um, have, if they started moving towards any reform um, with their police departments or not. But there was a post of a, a gentleman who is from Costa Rica just a, a week or two ago who was dressed in a business suit to go to court because he is a translator, and he got to the door, and there was a sign about court being canceled. 
So he was calling this translation service he works for to find out if he was supposed to be doing it virtually. And the police all but threw him in their car and drove away mm -hmm. for standing on the corner speaking Spanish in a suit. Unconscionable. That Not is worth why burning people, down. Yes, it Nina has. Marcus. Well, because now it's become well raid these places because they have insurance and it's reparation. And I, I don't think either of us want to go down that rabbit hole. We can save that for like another uh, <laughs> topic because I, yeah, because I, I want to, and I'm guilty of, of starting that digging that rabbit hole. So I'll try to bring it back in. Yeah, there there are some substantial issues that we can discuss a long time on that. But I'm talking about the those who are doing it right and wrong, and Rhode Island apparently doing it right because but again, of it. teeny tiny state. True. Yeah, and right. My dorm room was larger than, right. than Rhode Island, but it's a good pilot program. Yeah, you know, say okay, this is working. Uh, you, you know, go up to Canada where you are three times more likely uh, over COVID. I'm trying to remember what what it was, but it was something like being run over by a moose. Moose are dangerous. They are dangerous. <laughs> so you know, it, it's all location, location, right. location. So more of a Texas and then national. Yeah. With, with the school, so we have the legal issue of that constitutionally, you can't say your child, you must pay for this for your child to be educated or he's suspended, expelled, we arrest you. You know, all these laws are still in effect. So instead of like, we got to rebuild everything, let's start there. Number two, uh, yesterday, my, uh, my internet was out for eight hours because someone cut a line down the street. So, again, infrastructure. We, we talked about this last week with the post office. My big beef on that is that I don't believe the infrastructure is in place at this time. Same thing with here. I'm not opposed to distance learning. Uh, I'm opposed to pure distance learning and having, you know, the fate of your child's future right here, right now, today. CISD started Wednesday. Today's Friday, if, in case you're wondering. And uh, there's no protocol in place for what if... Internet goes down. What if I can't afford it? And and again, by law, if you say, well, we'll give every student who doesn't have a laptop a laptop. No, it's you don't get to pick and choose. Every student, whether they have their own laptop, gets a laptop. Well, I mean, they and are having worked in the budget. They are having like well, that's and again, that's the problem that the Tea Party Republicans blocked the budget. There is no amount of money in the universe that can send for fifty six point six million students. Show me where there's 56.6 million laptops lying around. Yes. And how are you going to pay for them? Right. And that doesn't get paid at the federal level. Again, that gets paid um, locally. And that does point to another inadequacy in our education system is that location, where you live, matters this education your kids have. And that's mm -hmm. always been the case here. Um, and that's another reason why the way we fund education is ridiculous because you should it should not matter where you live as to the quality of the education that your child gets. Well, right now the quality of the education is directly connected to the quality of your Wi-Fi signal. Yes, and which is connected to where you, to your And I have six kids, and yeah. I need six laptops, and, I, and the bandwidth to handle it. I hope you can buy another house down the street. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm sorry, I hypothetically have six kids. I, as far as I know, I've still got the, the two and the two steps. <laughs> but yes, I mean, it is it is a huge problem. And then again, it points to something we, we touched on after we finished filming last week. We built a society that is not stable in any, any metric. That, uh, as we've come to find out in the past six months, 
one disease, one little virus, and all of a sudden, a lot of what we took for granted is crumbling. That, too, could be another topic, um, because, yeah, we have survived plague after plague after plague. We've survived civil war, mm -hmm. revolutionary war, uh, uh, foreign war, domestic war, domestic terrorism, foreign terrorism, uh, Spanish flu, H1N1, SARS, uh, you name it, we've survived, and never at this such a visceral, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say knee-jerk reaction response. There's many a time I question the motives. And I, again, that's another rabbit hole. Right. I don't want to like raise something and, and tease. But I want to put that aside because that's not helping the kids right now. Right. So we can debate motives, uh, and I'm sure we both happily do it, next week on, <laughs> on Purple Politics. Uh, who's behind it all? Uh, the other issue with, again, soul distance learning. And I'm not saying we need to open up all the schools and get all, cram the kids in there because you can't. This has been a, I'll, I'll sweetly call it a cluster poop from day one. But the reason why I'm pushing for opening the doors as safely and early as possible, even the effects on youth that schools provided. Uh, now, homeschooling is a very viable option, and I get that. Of course, it's not for everyone. Up until very recently, there's been a stigma about it. In fact, I very much had that stigma. Uh, now I'm being courted to become a homeschool teacher. <laughs> and I'm liking what I'm being told about it. I, I, I've hopped on that board, but it's just not feasible for oh so many. Same thing with the the infrastructure, the the internet, the electricity, the, the modem, the bandwidth, the, the physical computer, the software, the time. Because uh, mm -hmm. now we haven't even talked about teachers yet. Right. And just think about it. You thought they were kerfuffled before. <clears throat> but with school comes everyday things like... Um, I believe 11 million children, if I remember, were fed at school every day if they're not getting their meals. Well, they are getting their meals. At least here in Montgomery County, they are. Wonderful. And that's great. Unfortunately, we got it with the, we're one of 13,507, I remember the number, school districts. And Yeah, and I don't know the percentages, but I know that as many of them as, that a lot of them are doing. And, and they're scrambling. And I yes. get that a lot of them are doing the best they can with what they have. So I'm not saying, oh, they're, they're starving the kids. But there's that teen and child suicide rate, particularly in Montgomery County, is skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. Now, to put it in perspective, I'm, I'm going to be the numbers guy. Uh, minor suicide, basically from age zero to, to I think they, they're putting it up to 19 for, to count as teen suicide. Uh, the average range is from 8 to 18 per 100,000, mm -hmm. um, depending on your ethnicity, your location, so it's, it's a big thing, but the bottom is 8.5 out of 100,000. The mortality rate for all minors of COVID per 100,000 is zero. No. Between zero and 0 0.4. Okay. It's not zero. Yeah, okay. but what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying mm -hmm. is that of the, the sheer number of people of, of active and of positive yes, cases. but because we shut everything down and the kids have been home. So what is going to happen when we start putting them back into schools? The virus is going to resurge. That's that's the problem. Viruses don't get bored. Right, right. It's definitely going to resurge. Every time we shut down, COVID's like, I got time. I know. But we don't know that the rate of transmission, of of actually becoming ill, of, of dying, is really so young in kids because they've been the most protected, protected section of society. 
And we are all eagerly eyeing what's going to happen in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And Well, more like a month because the schools won't go back. Fair, for, fair, yeah. fair enough. But I mean, the, the early, early results. And of course, we're going to see a humongous official word spike in positive cases. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's the, we we got to look out for that. But hand in hand with that is the not just more, uh, mortality rate for sure, but also the irretrievable harm rate. Right. Uh, I'll phrase it like that. And protocols can really be obnoxious. For instance, I lived in England after 1980. Mm-hmm. Ergo, I can no longer give blood. Mm-hmm. It's insane. I lived there was 40-some-odd years ago. But you have mad cow. But they, they haven't determined if, their, if mad cow disease has a 50-year gestation period. They don't know, so I'm banned for life. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. Um, I was really bummer because my blood could be transferred to newborns. I had this special oh. thing. And they loved me in the yeah. old days. Uh, but it's not fair. I want to scream and say, people, come on. I'm, I'm good. But what if? Mm-hmm. So I absolutely, you know, the protocols, they can be obnoxious and don't make sense. I would think that by now it's pretty obvious that I don't have mad cow and that's not what's going to kill me. The burgers I've been eating are probably <laughs> going to kill me, but not mad cow burgers. Um, so we have there, for COVID, we need to find responses as quickly as possible. I want every child safe. And again, we agree on that. I'm a Republican. I don't want kids killed. Um, but I do look at the numbers. You know, the teen suicide rate for those kids stuck without the social gathering, without being with their peers, being stuck in abusive houses, uh, being left alone with their thoughts, not being able to reach out and physically touch someone. Uh, there's a danger there. Mm-hmm. And so if we want to, you know, if we want to do the numbers game, it's safer to throw them in school because they'll get sick, they'll cough, they'll have the flu. God hope none of them die. Um, and I don't want to say that's a risk I'm willing to take, but I have definite, you know, 45 kids going to be killing themselves. Mm-hmm. If that number can come down with schools opening, then I'm all for that. And yet, in your argument, is what a lot of the Republican um, leaders have been saying. And yet, they don't want to fund mental health programs. And yet, they don't want universal health care. And yet, they don't want universal access to health care. And so they say they want this. They want the kids in school because it's better for them. But they're not, they're not doing anything to make the programs that the kids need any more accessible or affordable. I one-third agree with you on that one. <laughs> <clears throat> Absolutely. More mental health funding. Absolutely. You have to. And it's, it's, it's dumb not to. I, I told people I'm going to tick people off on my side of the aisle, too, when I say this. You have to fund special needs, mm-hmm. whether it's disabilities, mental health. Okay, it's going to lower everything from teen suicide to, yeah, school shootings. Because right. every time there's a school shooting, unfortunately, I have more Democrat friends kind of happy about it with an I told you so attitude. I think I told you so is a far cry from happy. Fair enough. But no, I can guarantee you the NRA doesn't want it to happen. So, you know, no one looks forward so to it. So I do want to make it clear <clears throat> that I see a very stark difference between a Republican citizen and a Republican leader in this regard. So okay. I think we mentioned last week, the week before, that Commissioner's Court here in Montgomery County tried to vote to defund some of these social services last year. And 
the pushback they got was completely bipartisan. Mm -hmm. As many, if not more, Republicans up in arms about it than Democrats. I absolutely do not believe that the average Republican citizen doesn't want to see people get help. But the average, almost universally, Republican leader does not want to put any money in for it. Could it be, <clears throat> and I'm not being glad I'm asking for real, right now there are some teachers unions who are saying, you want us back in school? Defund the police. I mean, these are actual demands. Kill charter schools. Things that have nothing to do with the situation at hand. And I said it before, sometimes if you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to want a glass of milk. To which... It's the the leadership attitude can be I don't negotiate with terrorists. But this was last. This was before any of that. This was last year. This was before we had COVID. This was before there was a widespread. No, there is an ongoing issue. Um, this has been their their stance for a very long time. That I mean, they they. And I believe COVID. This situation is a wake up call. Too much as we wholeheartedly agree, collectively got caught with our pants down. Mm -hmm. Uh, for any number of reasons, and we can say who depleted the PPE stock and who didn't restock it. I don't think that matters right now. You know, as the Titanic's going down, you don't blame the guy for not finding the iceberg in time. You know, it's going down. Mm -hmm. So, same thing. We are in a situation here that I'm not anti-union per se, but those who are seeking to get an extra piece of the pie that I feel they're not putting the children first. As saying defund the police, that has nothing to do with getting the kids safe, safely in school. Um, yes, COVID right now. I can't think of a leader who's not looking to saying, "We've, my God, what what happens when there's COVID twenty, or COVID twenty one, or or H one N two? Is there has Trump reinstated the CDC pandemic response team? In what context? He took it apart in twenty seventeen. Uh huh. Has he put it back together? What What did it do? It couldn't do anything because it wasn't there. When it was there, what did it do? Well, SARS was never as bad as SARS it couldn't have been. You can't uh, compare. Other... That's what I'm saying. It's like comparing uh, COVID to the flu. You can't compare them. You don't think there's any correlation between dismantling a pandemic response team in 2017 and two years later having a major pandemic. Sure. How many people died from SARS? I have no idea. I, I'm not being glib. I mean, I, I think you'll find a lot. But do you see what I'm saying? We have not had this sort of... Well, no one expects the earthquake until it happens. No one expects no, flood until No, 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 no. People ha were expecting. People <clears throat> have, were predicting a major pandemic along these lines for a very long time. And that is exactly why Obama left a pandemic response mm -hmm. protocol. And that is exactly why there was an pandemic response team and Trump threw it all away. And we had a pandemic. Obviously, it was worldwide. It didn't start here. But there are cases, there are countries that are already pretty much back to normal. Well, if you want we, to talk New Zealand, it's because they sealed their borders. And right, that's a and whole easier. other topic. But <clears throat> you, there's no doubt in my mind that we would be far, much farther along in our response had we had an infrastructure and a, a system in place for people who were forward-thinking and would know how to handle something. The CDC like this. first words from the CDC were, "This is a no masks, no social distancing." And pass. they didn't have the experts in place. They had experts 
they there's experts and then there's specialized experts. They did the whole organization been, is centers been, for disease, and he's been cutting control. their funding over and over and over and over. He has been dismantling the CDC since he took office. It is the fact of the matter is it is a in the Republican Party disdain for education, disdain for knowledge, disdain for specialists, disdain for science that is filtering down and then going you know, springboarding back up to the top, and this is what happens when you think scientists are full of crap, and you can go on Google and use essential oils and do the exact same thing. This is what ironically, happens. I don't know a lot of Republicans who use essential oils. Uh, then you might need to meet some more with them. <laughs> oh, wow. I met enough. Married more. So than um, we've just been told that the SARS data was um, eight thousand ninety-eight cases worldwide mm -hmm. and eight in the United States. Absolutely. And that was when we had. So how do we lose all of all? How did SARS wipe out our Reserve of PPE. I if it was so don't know depleted. that it did because the only person I've heard that from is Trump, and I don't believe the word that comes out of his mouth. Can't, I can't it might argue. be that he did not want to open the door into that room. <laughs> Anything, anything's possible. Um, sticking with the education aspect of it again, because this is a. I, I love the show. That there's so many topics we can go on. We we do tend to come back to, and we can laugh at each other and, and stuff <laughs> as we dig. Um, but how do we? It's easy to say, okay, this door wasn't opened or whatever. But right here, right now, I'm thanking God that my daughter's not in school that she graduated, and I, I feel for my teacher friends who are just pulling Absolutely. out there. And uh, you know, a teacher friend of mine. He came to borrow some video equipment from me yesterday because he had to get stuff ready for his school. And I gladly, here, here's a teleprompter. Here's, here's awesome. this and that. <clears throat> Happily doing it because if he, he didn't have the resources otherwise. And that is that puts an undue pressure on the teacher, mm -hmm. on the students. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, the wrong arguments being pursued again. The fact is that schools need to open. And the battle cry of, well, you just want to kill the kids or you don't, child lives don't matter to you is just bull. It's the first person that accuses me of being, you know, I hate old people. I hate kids. I, I hate gays. I hate blacks. We're going to have words. And that's where, you know, if I don't exactly, t I don't even ask the party line, but that is a conservative view that I think a lot more people have than don't have. So with the, with the kids, keeping them safe in school, we have to, so many more health issues are happening, including mental health issues, as you said, that they don't have it. We can fund the snot out of it right now. They can't go to it. So the if I could go back in time six months, absolutely, we should have started plans, <clears throat> split school days in half. You're a red team. You come in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 8 a.m. to 12 noon, and you go home, and then from 2 to 4 you have online, you, you M through Z. And that's an here. interesting point because a lot of people wanted that here, I know. And the Texas Education Authority Association, I always forget what the A stands for, the TEA, mm -hmm. uh, absolutely forbid it. And I don't know why. And I haven't heard any explanation. And that is an interesting point because when Conroe ISD first sent out a parent survey, the only options are, and this was early in the summer, are you planning to send your child back to school? Are you planning on doing virtual? And you had to pick an answer, and those were your only two. So I picked send them back to school because I was hopeful that it would happen. Mm -hmm. And then the comment section later, I said, 
And now referring back to that question, what I really want is a hybrid model. I really want them in school, half days or two days a week and at home the rest, but that wasn't an option. And Superintendent Null addressed it on one of his videos. He's been excellent on keeping everybody updated through videos. And he said that was ex explicitly forbidden by the TEA. And I would like to know the reasoning behind that because I think that that was a really good compromise. As I. And a really good, um, not just a compromise medically, but I think it was a compromise that a lot of people, a lot of parents would have coalesced around. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this disagreements between open the schools, don't open the schools, um, and some of the infighting that we see on social media between parents, I think, would have been alleviated by a hybrid model. And I think, I don't know about the strain on teachers, because I don't know what that would have translated into their workload, but I think at least they would have had more public support. I think one of the terrible things that has happened is that all of the frustrations that are happening this week with virtual uh, schooling has been... Um, they're taking the brunt of it, and that's not fair because they are very low on the totem pole of the education system. Um, you they, always yell at the waiter for the wrong order right. when they well, are not I, No, I don't, but well, yes, they do get it's the... It's the waiter that <laughs> yes. gets the grief when the chef's <laughs> and the one. So they have, they are, have almost no um, wiggle room on how they do things. Mm -hmm. and As well as so, my teacher said when he was doing online learning, I'm like, well, how are you handling all these kids? He said only about 20% of them are... Or even logging in. I'm like, well, that's going to make your pass fail. He's like, no, I have to pass all of them. Yeah, well, yes, last spring they had to pass And that, um, I, I think there's some golden opportunities here. I am not, not, not a fan zero of standardized testing. Mm -hmm. If you're going to standardize test, it needs to be at the beginning of every school year to find out where the starting point is, and then you shunt the child accordingly. I think, and I think that's another thing that it's bipartisan on the ground, mm -hmm. but the leadership takes it you know, well, keeps it in place. It starts on the ground, I really think. You, yeah. It, for change to be affected, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be snarky. <laughs> you can you can burn down a Starbucks or rip off a, a Macy's, or you can lobby and push for legislation. True, but I'm, I'll am i be listening to someone who's not <laughs> screaming in my face. I, I'll, and I, I think we're shining examples of civil discourse can matter, uh, and, and results can be... Uh, Attained. There's a, a local gentleman running for politics on the other side of the aisle, on her side <laughs> of the aisle, who I respect like very few other men. And I've told him, uh, he's been a guest on my radio show, and, and I said, listen, I, whatever office you end up winning one day, I want to be your counterpart. Because we get on a committee together, we lock ourselves in a room, six hours later, something will, there will be forward momentum. Mm -hmm. And that is so important to me. There is a schism so harsh going on. I believe it's going to get worse. I think there's a, on certain aspects of this nation, there's going to be a sense of growing panic that, okay, now this is going to kill us today, and this is going to kill us today, and this is going to kill us today, and in the hopes that something's going to kill us all before someone is reelected. Mm -hmm. That's my, my sense on that. <clears throat> um, and, of course, there's always a, a ramp up before any presidential election. I think this presidential election is conceivably, and people think I vote who, you know, I don't vote for, for people think I vote for. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase that. So don't think I'm a mouthpiece for anyone. Um, but this presidential election could conceivably be one of the most nation-changing from decades leading up to decades after on this. And it's still being treated as a soundbite 
And as one who would be um, so looking forward to debates, and now the idea of no debates is being floated, and that just chaps me largely. Uh, you know, just yesterday, again, we're recording on Friday, uh, Democrat President Candidate Biden, you know, was basically ordering a mandate on, on a national mandate. Well, he said a mandate nationwide, not a nationwide mandate, when to me there's a difference. So I got the sense he's cajoling governors to say, make everyone wear a mask. Yes. You can't do that, first off. That's a law. And uh, pretty much that's what the current president has done, is left it up to governors. Right. So my thought is, okay, you're saying this. Why? Because it's already in effect. Or are you demanding the governors do it, which you can't do, and governors can't do? Only a law can do that. And who enacts law? The legislative branch, Congress, which is Democrat-controlled right now. Why have these laws not started? If, if this is so important for masks and lockdowns to save this nation with, with from a 96 to 99% survivability rate, why is this not? And well, the answer is because Congress went on vacation, which is a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> we agree to agree on that one. Yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, don't get me started on that one because we're running out of time. Um, These conversations, I've got to say, are fascinating. <laughs> I I was very iffy about it. You know, if I wanted to do this as as a as a weekly gig, um, but I, I find the conversation stimulating and hopefully right. helpful to. Those listening in, because again, so. we can tr- we could turn this into a uh, you know blue sucks, red sucks worse, and, and just take it downhill from there. We can become the new you know really micro version of Hannity and Combs. <laughs> you never know. Uh, I'm not sure that I want that distinction <laughs> of Combs, but anyway. Oh, I'm, I'm the other Sean, <laughs> uh, the conservative. But I th- I th- I think to be kind of representative voice of reason. Yeah. Uh, really helps out, and uh, hopefully, you know, the viewership will grow with this, uh, with, with each episode. I understand, you know, uh, Brian doing just my predecessor here is doing, you know, amazing work with you, and I felt that I would, you know, be interloping, but it's been a, a wonderful experience. Yeah, no, it's can been great. Having hit you. these hot button topics and not curl chairs, not Absolutely. not do a Real Housewives thing here. <laughs> uh, well, the day's young, but right? you never know. I mean... <laughs> And I won't mention that, you know, there was no spike as of, you know, July 1st in the New York Times. In USA, told you. Yeah, New York again, did not see a spike from well, their protests. There was literally nowhere to go but down. No, they, once they started going down, they could have gone back and up. And for, for there being basically, because uh, uh, my first ex-wife uh, just recently recovered from COVID, and, and she was giving daily updates, and I was able to you know, keep in touch with her. So for, you know, 90.9% people... This thing, in a month, it's over and gone with. So, it's... Mm, not so much. The The death rate in the United States is 1.5. So, 98.5, it's... They, they live. But we don't have, as far as I've seen, published numbers on the number of people who live with then chronic conditions and need lung transplants, need appendages... And, and that's well, and that's a natural byproduct and, because for to assume a, a chronic condition, you have to have a chronic amount of time. Right. So and we don't have that. that so we're there, but for the most part, people um, from personal experience, because I have m- many Facebook friends, some who have gotten it, some and some who have had family members pass away, uh, or from COVID or COVID-related illnesses. Um, and there's always on every argument, there's always the motorcycle accident that's listed as COVID. 
and the other way. I, I try to keep those out of the argument because there's always idiots on both sides of the aisle. And I, there's always the fringe. So I try to keep those out of the way. For the most part, the indicators are if you have an underlying health issue and over, of a certain age, you're at a much higher risk. I have not hugged my mother in four months as a result of this. You know, I'm not stupid. Uh, but I'm out here today sitting within six feet with a mask because the odds are in our favor. Uh, so with the mortality rate, yes, it could be long-term. All indicators are saying, for the most part, no. And if you, you know, I believe the number of those who have been killed from the flu this year, I want to say 60,000 already, which is half of COVID. If I'm, I'm not sure be, because the flu season... <clears throat> Is not through the year, so I'm not... I, I'm sorry, I was talking about through the, the past year season. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, because, yeah, we're, we have yet to hit it here. And that's going to make matters worse because people's immune systems are down because we're eating bad, sitting at home, not exercising, not building antibodies on everything. Uh, heart attack, death rates, and home are skyrocketed. And again, in Montgomery County, because no one's calling 911, people aren't right. going to the doctor. There's a slew of so many secondary and tertiary uh, the ramifications of lockdown. Right. Um, Which is why it's even more important to have factual news that you can count on. And that, again, now is part of the problem of having a leader who has a tenuous relationship with the truth and who bullies the people who are supposed to be experts into... Fauci has gone on record. Fauci has, he has been a, against And he him. is like the voice but that all the want the vaccine um, guy, and I'm not going to remember his name, um, that ended, he either ended up quitting or he was fired because he pushed back on Trump's... Um, if only the, there were some kind of mass media that he could go to and explain he did, his position. He did, but... And did but, he say we're all going to die? No, he didn't. Um... But when you have a president that screams fake news every time something upsets her, it's hard for people who aren't living and breathing these things to know who can who they can trust. Even our leaders here in Montgomery County, Judge Keogh distorts the, the data all the time. He doesn't fully understand how the data is collected at all. He doesn't understand how the data is explained at all. Abbott waffles back and forth from understanding to not understanding. It's obvious that a lot of Republican governors, Kemp in Georgia, Abbott here, are going after uh, cities that are run by Democrats instead of going after what they want or don't want. They're going after the people that they like or don't like. And so how are people trying to live their lives, trying to figure out what's right, supposed to know when their leaders have agendas that have nothing to do with their best interests. I agree with you, Trump, President Trump, bloviates. I'll, I'll phrase it like that. And he screams uh, fake news, rightfully or wrongfully, half the time, quarter of the time, doesn't matter. It's in their daily thing. And it can't be denied that a vast majority of people know that. You know, just because he says it's fake news necessarily doesn't mean it is. Now, we talk about Texas, uh, you know, we're not a brush fire of COVID. The, uh, the hot spots are Democrat cities, counties, and states. And so if to say, well, the Republican leaders are ignoring the science, 
the proof's kind of in the pudding. No, Georgia's a hotspot. Texas is definitely a hotspot. We're fourth on new cases. New cases, yes, because it's going to... This virus is going to outlive any... Our patients. I was going to say any economy. You have to have economy to survive. We, we There's life and there's quality of life. And to just say, you know, forget the economy. Just no one gets paid. No one does a business. Um, that's, to me, that's like being on life support. You're breathing, right. but you're not... If, if, if we like that metaphor. Um, yes, positive cases are... We're supposed, we want 100% positive... This we has do to... with most viruses, but there's no proof that you get lifetime immunity from this. Most people are showing no antibodies after two months. Um, so, yes, it's going to keep coming back and coming back until we get uh, a vaccine that works. I mean, that's just, and you're right. You're hoping there's no uh, mutation because that's why right. so the exactly. second this mutates, which is why it's going to outlast us. Every time we hunker down, it, it waits. Yep. And then we come back out, and then there's a new spike. And that's where, to me, it feels more political on both sides. Both sides. we got to open the economy. Ah, new spikes. Okay, we'll close it on down. It's, and I'm not saying willy-nilly, everyone. You know, when I was a kid, we'd wait for the kid with measles, and then we'd rub heads with him so we could get it and just get it over with. Our parents would have measles parties. I think there's a difference between that and COVID parties because you know what I'm getting. It's, and there's new technologies and new medical advancements. But every time we sh- shut it down all the way, COVID just takes out a nail file yep. and, and bites patiently. So that's why, and I'm trying to, you know, we're, we're getting close on time, so I'm trying to bring my personal plane down before I turn it back over to you to say, that's why I tend towards, of course, a safe. I'm directing shows where, you know, my casts are in masks and we're keeping distances and the audiences are going to get little goodie bags with stuff because there needs to be theater, there needs to be social interaction, but we're not stupid about it. You know, I'm not careless about it. It means very much to me. And I think generally as a city, county, state, and nation and globe, this needs to happen. It needs to get behind us as much as humanly possible. Unfortunately, there will be deaths. There will be. And I, I hate it, and I don't want to be the guy, well, it's, it's only old people. Again, my mother is highest risk known, and I I haven't slept in four months without a terror that's going to happen. And I think that's something we both agree on. Absolutely. We, we don't want to say, kill the old It's Logan's run. Just kill the old <laughs> people. Go to last day. And, I, and we obviously, and I think most people agree, whatever we want the school system to look like right now, at the heart, we want it to be educational for kids and safe for everybody mm. involved and so we're both hoping that as they open up um, in-person school in september that it's done as safely as possible absolutely and that we don't see a huge issue with well i challenge the tat not the tea what is it the, the texas education yeah it's tea tea okay i challenge you i challenge the state legislature to get ducks in a row there's a nice way of saying it that the virus isn't going away. There could always be COVID-20. And this is, I hate buzzwords, but this is a new paradigm. Yep. And, you know, new schools need to be fully rigged up with with the infrastructure for Wi-Fi and distance learning and new syllabi need to be put together. Get rid of the end of school, uh, end of year standardized testing altogether. Absolutely. And let's... This is going to sound really, because we're Americans, not Americans. <laughs> this is an opportunity. If you want to talk silver lining, I'll take it. 
for us to take a good long look at this is what's messed up. We can't fix what was, but we can start fixing what is now. Absolutely. And that's it from me because I, I bogarted <laughs> this conversation. So I'll turn it back over to you. No, I, absolutely. We definitely need to make, we, we can't let this opportunity go by without making changes mm -hmm. to how we run things. On a totally different topic, I just want to make one more plug that August 17th is the last day to file for the nonpartisan races in Montgomery County. That's right. And the local municipalities that will be having elections in November. So city councils, boards of education, Lone Star trustees, water boards. Township, uh, township. board. So if you're a resident and hopefully have no felonies on your record that haven't been expunged, you have a chance. Absolutely. So go to the website of whatever municipality that you're interested in, and you will find the forms to fill out and where to send them to. August 17th at 5 p.m. is the deadline. There you go. And y'all have been watching Purple Politics, a discussion between the red and the blue here in the Woodlands, brought to you by the Woodlands Online. You can watch this on Woodlands Online, our Roku channel, over the air on KBQT HD21, or listen to us on the Woodlands podcast page, as well as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or topics for further uh, upcoming discussions, please email us at woodlandspurplepolitics, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. views expressed during this show are mine and my co-host alone and not reflective of any particular political party or organization.